Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. Pope Francis is being hailed for the pilgrimage of penance he made to Canada this week to apologize for the evil Catholics committed against that country's indigenous peoples. And, as establishment apologies go, this one was truly historic. Because Francis humbly begged forgiveness, not just for the notorious acts of cruelty missionaries meted out at indigenous schools, but also for the role the church played in Canada's racist assimilation policy. The latter systematically deprived indigenous peoples of their culture, tore apart their families, and marginalized them for generations in ways still being felt to this day. His apology was clearly heartfelt. It even evoked tears among some of the indigenous peoples assembled to hear it. But they could be forgiven for wondering why his church has only raised 4.6 of the $30 million it promised seven months ago for healing and other reconciliation initiatives. After all, paying penance for guilt felt is no substitute for paying reparations for harm done. And there's the rub, because to be morally consistent, Francis and every other pope would have to make similar pilgrimages of penance around the world until kingdom come. This to apologize for all the cardinal sins Catholics have committed in the name of God, most notably from being complicit in the Holocaust to being culpable in the sexual abuse of children. Which is why, when it comes to the diverse peoples Catholics have harmed, and to whom not millions, but billions in reparations are due, it behooves Canada's indigenous peoples to beware that they are at the back of a very long queue. I refer you in this regard to the podcast episode, Benedict and Francis, Two Popes in a Pickle, on November 13, 2021, in which I flog the church mercilessly for the carnal and financial sins its clergy have committed systematically. That said, with the Pope taking responsibility and begging forgiveness so dramatically, it's easy to overlook that the Catholic Church was merely executing the colonizing policy of the Canadian government. 
as it happens, I've been commenting for years on this North American country's ambivalent efforts to reckon with its legacy of racism. And, at first, it surprised even some of my Canadian friends that I was referring to Canada and not the United States. <laughs> no doubt the USA's efforts to reckon have been more fractious, so much so that they may have overshadowed the categorical imperative for Canada to do the same. But there was never any denying the dark secrets of Canada's racial shame. And like all such secrets, it was always only a matter of time before those thought buried and long forgotten revealed their dirty heads. I mean this literally, because indigenous peoples, a.k.a. First Nations, have been forcing the government to account for thousands of unmarked graves on the grounds of former residential schools all over Canada. These are the compulsory assimilation schools the government funded which the Catholic Church ran like internment camps throughout much of the 19th and 20th centuries. According to survivor testimonials, the squalid conditions were bad enough, but it was invariably the physical and sexual abuse by priests and nuns alike that forced many children to run away. Uh, by the way, it's easy to see how the Catholic Church that condoned and covered up the emotional and sexual abuse of church kids in the United States, Europe, and beyond had no compunction about condoning and covering up the physical and sexual abuse of school kids in Canada. But if indigenous victims think it's unconscionable that the church is taking so long to honour its promises to pay reparations, they might think the Canadian government has been playing them for fools. For here, in part, is how I was bemoaning the government's failure to honour its promises in this regard over fifteen years ago in Delusions on matters of race are coming home to roost in Canada on October 3, 2006, and I quote, Canadians ooze nothing but righteous indignation when looking down on their Yankee neighbours as they struggle to deal with matters of race almost 150 years after the abolition of slavery. Indeed, you'd be forgiven the impression that Canada enjoys complete racial harmony, unblemished by the legacy of slavery that still haunts America, or by the challenges of racial assimilation that are now coming home to roost all over Europe. The reality, of course, is that Canadians have simply managed to quarantine their racial problems more effectively 
than Americans or Europeans. Because from the time America's founding fathers codified racism in their constitution, Canadians have been living with their own racial shame. In fact, Canada's dealings with indigenous peoples throughout its history have been every bit as violent and exploitative as America's. And, despite spending billions annually on welfare programs, the Canadian government has been unable to quell the growing resentment of proud indigenous peoples who are fed up with being treated like wards of the state. End quote. Given that, you will understand why a documentary the BBC aired ten years later, in 2016, titled Canada's Treatment of Canadian Indians, end quote, left me so forlorn of hope. After all, here is how the BBC summed up what, in fact, was gross mistreatment. Again, I quote, Poverty and unemployment remain disproportionately high among First Nations people who also have to contend with a crisis among Aboriginal women, thousands of whom have been murdered or gone missing over the past 30 years. When Justin Trudeau came to power in Canada, he promised to repair the country's relationship with its Aboriginal people after centuries of discrimination. It speaks volumes that the BBC's Stephen Sacker was moved to ask the Minister of Indigenous Affairs whether this treatment of First Nations people represents Canada's shame. End quote. The reason for my forlorn hope was that when Stephen Harper, Trudeau's predecessor, came to power ten years before, he promised to do the same thing. Harper even admitted to the very shame, which the BBC had cause to ask about, so infamously. But again, successive Canadian governments have been failing to honour treaties with Indigenous peoples for over 100 years. Of course, my forlorn hope pales into insignificance when one considers the genocidal legacy indigenous peoples have suffered and continue to suffer. Indeed, it's hardly surprising that they now seem filled with the kind of restive resentment that characterized the more militant arm of the black civil rights movement in the United States. And we all know what social unrest portends if the Canadian government continues to ignore their grievances. But I am somewhat heartened that, unlike the Catholic Church, the Canadian government is finally putting its money where its mouth is. In fact, at around the same time the church announced its paltry $30 million for healing, the government announced $40 billion 
to compensate indigenous peoples harmed by this cultural genocide. It is noteworthy that America's mistreatment of its indigenous peoples stems from the government's serial failure to honor treaties regarding ownership and use of land. Because Canada's mistreatment of its indigenous peoples stems from the same. Indeed, the historical irony afoot is that Canada's indigenous peoples are now filing claims for valuable land that they say the British government gave their forefathers as compensation when they fled with British soldiers to Canada after helping them fight in the American War of Independence. They claim successive Canadian governments not only refused to honour those grants, but also violated treaties guaranteeing land rights and self-governance, which their ancestors negotiated with the British in the late 1700s. But with over one million indigenous peoples fed up with living in squalid conditions on 600 plus reserves all over Canada, these long unsettled issues of land and political rights are becoming increasingly confrontational. And this is especially the case where developers are seeking to exploit lumber, gas, oil, and other mineral resources. So, I hope Canada can now turn all of that moral indignation, which it once directed at America's racial woes, into moral courage to deal with its own. It can do so by paying reparations and settling land claims in an equitable fashion and by honouring the sovereign rights of indigenous peoples. That's it. Subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for thought-provoking commentaries, often laced with humor, I invite you to visit my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.